All right, everyone. Welcome today to the Construction Hall of Fame podcast, where we have a very special guest who we are super excited to have on and interview and to talk shop about the industry today. Suzanne Penton is her name, and she is the West Coast Controller at Guild Bain. So, Suzanne, could you just please do us a favor? And first of all, let me let me backtrack. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We're super pumped to have you. Um, thank you. I'm super pumped to be here. Um, this is a great challenge for me for me getting outside of my data and uh, onto a screen with you. I'm pretty excited about it today. Uh, I I work for Gilbane Building Company. I've been working uh, for them since 1999. Um, I don't want to age myself, but how I got to Gilbane uh, 23 years ago is a cool story. I went to Stonehill College um, out of Boston and uh, graduated there. I played college basketball there on a, a full ride. Uh, went overseas after that, took an opportunity to play pro uh, in Germany, southern Bavaria, a little town called Nordlingen. Uh, this was probably, it was right at the beginning of uh, WNBA, so I got to play against a lot of WNBA stars that would play in the winter uh, and come back and play in the summer. So that was a huge experience, uh, being many, many miles away from family uh, and also in a different country. Uh, without the support system that I had back in, in Massachusetts. Mm. Uh, so the, when I came back, I retired. I said one year was good enough for me. I had the experience that I needed and I had gone to school for healthcare administration. It was a, it was high concentration in business. Knew I didn't really want to go into the healthcare profession um, as far as managing insurance claims and or insurance programs. So I went to work for Robert Half, Half in Boston. I, I headed for the big city and they placed me at an MEP firm, mechanical electrical plumbing firm. Got to work with all this, the really cool and talented engineers out there and was basically typing up their specs for them, putting together their bid packages and scopes of work for the trades. Um, knew that wasn't probably where I could I would probably just stay there and um, bottom out at an engineering firm. <laughs> just say that. So I knew that that wasn't going to be my future. So I asked for an opportunity to head out to a project site at Logan Airport. And that's the international airport in Boston. And was working at the central utility plant there with the, some of the engineers and field engineers and just seeing the massive amounts of uh, opportunity there. Well, Gilbane was there. And they were looking for a technical assistant, which is pretty much an administrative assistant. And I said, I want that job. They weren't looking for someone that was inexperienced, but I was going to go into the interview anyway. And that's how I got my foot in the door. And it's never, I've never looked back. So spent nine months at Logan Airport building an elevated walkways project, supporting the teams uh, to do that. It's just a huge parking garage, huge structure. They were trying to get a lot of uh, infra um, building those bridges to the to the connect connect to the terminals, anyways. And my I was coaching, so I took on a coaching job um, at a Wentworth Institute. It's a big place for architects, engineers that come out of there, construction managers. And of course, I was still young at the time, so I was an assistant coach for the D one women's basketball team there. I mean D. Um, Division three women's basketball team. Yep. And I made friends with some of the seniors. Well, one of them had a connection to California with Gilbane and they were looking to recruit her to come out. She had worked an internship with him in Worcester. And 
I said, I want to go sign me up. And I talked to the project ex executive at the time at Logan. He said, sure. And the guy out West said, yes, please come on board. So they transferred me out here and I never looked back. Um, after my experience in Germany, I knew that I could live anywhere in the United States as long as they spoke English. So that was pretty fun. Uh, didn't know I was going to end up planting myself here, but I did. I took the, the opportunity and then this is, this is where I felt the best in my skin. Uh, California is where, where I'm growing and, um, and that's where I switched into operations. So I was in as a technical admin, I was helping out with support the team, but I ended up getting a promotion with the deal. I was an office engineer, worked with the superintendents in the fields, um, really loved the financial piece of it. Um, six years into that program, I, I started the program, ended this, it was a Los Gatos Saratoga Joint Union High School District. It was a bond program, a huge bond program where we built many, many buildings for these two campuses. Mm -hmm. And when I closed out that project, I said, I want to switch to accounting. Mm -hmm. And I put it out there. They didn't want to let go of me in operations, but uh, the division controller at the time, John Yenna, he, he said, sure, I'll take her. We need someone to help. Uh, so I was a project accountant at the San Jose airport, mm -hmm. um, the Mineta International Airport here in San Jose. Um, that's where I started growing my accounting side. Uh, mm -hmm. It took a few years. It takes a while to get to where you want to go, but uh, I am I am now where I'm at um, as a business unit controller because of that experience, because of that opportunity that they provided me, and uh, and that's that's how I got to where I am today. So one professionally. Yeah, that makes, thank you for, first of all, for sharing, doing a deep dive on that. And something that really stands out to me is your willingness to face the unknown or like what might be defined as scary by a lot of people, like putting yourself out there. First of all, willing to travel across to another country to play an app, to play professionally at, with basketball, then going to say, I'm going to move all the way to California, kind of not on a whim, but maybe on a sort of like a, on a whim, it might be fair. Uh, but then it just seems like time and time again, you're attacking these challenges that are unknown, but you're believing in yourself and you're believing in your ability to figure it out and to get the job done because you know basketball put work ethic into you. It made you understand that you can tackle challenges that are unknown or maybe scary. But I've personally found that oftentimes the most rewarding things in my life have been on the other side of challenges, things I was afraid of, but I had to push through a wall. And so cheers to you for doing that. It sounds like from my perspective, that being able to push through fear is actually maybe what allowed to propel you to, to where you're at today from at least one part of what propelled you. Yeah, you know, uh, there was one saying from this guy named John Akouf, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but be brave enough to be bad at something new. Mm. And I live by that. Mm. And and the only way I live that, by that is because of my athletic experience, I believe. I mean, mm. when I really dig deep and what, what really got me there and what I call character build, you know, what people call character building or, or having a great character, I call champion spirit. And so like mm -hmm. I engage my champion spirit and, and everything that I do in life, whether it be marriage, parenting, you know, building my own home, fighting my cancer, mm -hmm. you know, the cancer battle that I went through, mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is, like I engage that champion spirit to push through and to, I'm just determined to, to beat whatever. And if someone says no, I find a way out, you know, it's like hitting a root. It's like a tree that's trying to build its foundation or build its root system. And if it does, if it hits, it hits a rock, it finds a way around it. You know, there's, it's an alternate way um, mm -hmm. of looking at it, but it's just, it's, it, I dig deep and, uh, mm -hmm. and try to build those roots and, and find the right path for myself. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, 
typically humans in an organization in their career will rise to their highest level of incompetency. So basically you're finding out maybe where your incompetencies are, but you're saying, okay, I might be incompetent or inexperienced right now, but I don't care. I'm willing to put in the work. I'm willing to work maybe harder or more or smarter than other people who are looking to achieve the same thing as me. And your champion spirit is basically pushing you forward to, to do things that most people would be like, Hey, pretty interesting switch from, you know, this career path, to this career path. Are you sure? You have people like questioning you, the naysayers out there, but you know, you didn't care. You just did it because you knew what it was, what you wanted to do. So, I mean, big time. I love to hear these success stories. And actually let's transition real quick into sports. I mean, for me, I, I come from a sports background, played D1 baseball. So did our co-founder Brenton. You played professionally. So I'm curious for you in your career and your growth, how do you think sports has played a role into, you know, your development in the professional space? It's, it's a hundred percent impact on my professional and personal, anything that I've done, you know, you learn how to, you learn how to win gracefully. You learn how to lose gracefully. It's not easy. <laughs> you know, you come into physical challenges when you're, when you're up against, you know, especially going into the college level, uh, there was, you know, faster people, stronger people, but how do you, how do you maneuver? How do you figure out to work through those items? You know, the, Basketball came as sort of a natural skill set for me. Um, it was discovered when I was in middle school. Um, it was put, you know, it, I was coached. I was supported along the way to get me through high school as far as, you know, the mental. It's a mental stamina. Yep. And I think when you have when you have that experience and you're pushed, when your coaches are pushing you to your potential and just pushing you past your comfort zones constantly, day in, day out, no matter what, it really builds a mental stamina that has that has helped me sustain through life and any challenge that I go through. Because you know, at the end of the day, you can get through it. It's just a matter of time and process. You have to trust the process and you have to trust the people that you have that you've surrounded yourself with to support you in your goals. So that is super huge in my life. And once I, you know, once you let go and, and do that and in, in athletics, that, that happened day in and day out. And the other thing that I was also, um, I feel like was instrumental in my athletics was my ability to be honest with the people around me, mm -hmm. because otherwise I probably would have quit without any, you know, interference basically, because it does get hard. And, you know, these kids, I see it all the time. Parents are like, my kids doesn't want to play sports. And I'm like, well, give them time, help encourage them through. It's going to get, there is going to be tough times, but until you, if you just accept that they just don't want to play, they're going to go through that. That's normal. <laughs> the same thing with your career. If you find you're hitting, hitting the wall, hitting, you know, it's the same, same concept. You have to figure out, okay, well, what will work? Dig deep, look at your strengths, ref have the ability to put the mirror up and reflect um, on what it is, find that root cause and then drive for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the consistency and the building of a real team that you're transparent with, that you're supporting, it's something that for me was also a big takeaway. Like being able to be a part of a team, understanding that it's not just me. Like there are other people on my team who rely on me. I need to support the people on my team and I need to have a relationship with them so they know they can come to me if they need something, right? Or just little things yes. like that that seem like little things that are a takeaway from being on a part of a team sport. It's, for me, I felt the same way. It's had a lot of carryover actually into my professional career and things I've done. 
And something that really stands out to me is the, the what you said about maybe not having all the, you know, the highest level or the highest, you know, sought after intangible skills. Like, you know, maybe you weren't six foot 10 as a post in, in, you know, the league you were playing. Maybe you weren't the best dribbler out of everyone who was playing the post. But what you did is you said, okay, I know that if I, for example, work my positioning when I'm guarding someone in the post, I can have a better chance of stopping them from getting to the hoop. Or if I work this kind of move, even if they're bigger, but maybe they're a little less athletic, I'll be able to do X, Y, Z. So it goes back to baseball for me. It's like pitching. If you're a pitcher and you don't have, you know, all the intangibles, you can still succeed. If you don't throw 99 miles an hour, you could still play in the big leagues. There's people throwing under 90 miles an hour who still make it. But those people, from what I know, and I know a lot of people who actually play in the big leagues now, they focus on their craft. They are obsessed with their craft from the people who I know are at the top of their game, and they're obsessed with improvement and consistency. And those are two really big things that, that I personally took away. But from me, also, the fact that you were willing to go up against people who were maybe a little more skilled than you, that could present fear. And that could be another challenge in of itself. So throughout your career, you believed in yourself and you put yourself in front of challenges that could have been arguably daunting, right? So, I mean, just cheers. <laughs> cheers to, to yeah. what you've been able to I do. mean, it's, it's true. It's true that you have to believe in yourself ultimately, right? But to have the support system, and if you don't, you have to figure it out, you know, when you don't. When I was in Germany and I didn't have anyone around, I had to pull up myself every single day to get through that homesickness mm -hmm. because, and I knew I wasn't going to give up on that. Even though I was so homesick in the first two months of being there, um, six months overall, um, so it was. It was, you know, it's pretty good. It's a. It's you have to you have to dig deep inside of yourself, and that's really ultimately it. And like you, and it's improvement mission. It's like an improvement mission, <laughs> like, and and I love to share that with my team as well. Uh, this just anyone who I have, my kid, my 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 team here, my. I love being the leader of them in the sense of being having that influence and the ability to influence their career, help them where they want to go. What is your interest? Find out that and then try to help them build from there. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of a quote I heard by someone named Tony Robbins, which is, can I? It's basically constant and never-ending improvement. It's just the idea that like you can always get better. You can always look for ways to improve your game. It's easy to say I know everything, but in reality, I don't think that's even possible. No uh, one's an expert. <laughs> exactly. And no one's an expert in everything. Amen. And the experts are still learning every day, too, is what I Exactly. Know. If you're not learning, you're not paying attention. Yeah. And also the experts want to learn more. It's, it's, it's funny. There's a reason they got to where they are. They're growth minded. A lot of times they're hungry. They want to learn more, uh, yes. which makes a lot of sense. And actually something you said that I'd like to talk about is you said it a while ago today. It's basically how you've been able to stay so long at Gilbane. And also you've talked about support systems. So I want to tie those two things together. People don't stay at companies for as long as you've been with Gilbane for no reason. There obviously has to be something causing you to stay there. So what would you say about Gilbane drives people to stay, drives tenure, and, and, and sort of supports the team to, to get to the next level in their career? Oh, that's a great point. That's a great point. Gilbane, to me, we offer so much, okay? Gilbane is a family business. Uh, we, we know at Gilbane that we have, uh, people have our backs, and they tell it to us. They make people the focus, um, and... You just know it's a family, it's a fa family team. Like we, it's a, it's an extended family to yeah. you. Um, it's supportive. And so what, what Gilbane has to offer for people is 
a bunch of different avenues. I've had people come into accounting and switch to operations and I support it a hundred percent. Do I want them to leave my team? No, but I want them to have the experience. Mm -hmm. Gilbane has, you know, from TPM, which is transitional planning. They have uh, facility management. They have construction management. We do so many different types of things, but then you also have the regular functions, human resources, financials, project accounting, uh, operations, every different aspect. And I think it's just, it's its own, we have international work now. So we have, it's just a very supportive culture and it all is driven from our core values. Um, if you have, and that's what's important to bring on anyone who comes into the business is to know that they are development focused, mm -hmm. that they know that they need to take time for training, um, that, that they have the integrity, they're leading with integrity. They're leading with all our core values, um, tough mindedness, honesty, loyalty, caring, you know, safety is a huge part of our business. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, you just feel safe here. They have great benefits. It's just a, everything that's a well-rounded thing. And there are other companies out there that have that family culture that have that ability to see and, and really maximize on people, like understand, they understand where they want to be, like where that person wants to be and help them navigate that path. Mm -hmm. That's what I think that they do. That's especially at Gilbane. We have an annual performance appraisal review. We have career development planning. We have championing, we have um, mentorship program that I'm able, that I actually am passionate about leading um, for the finance and accounting group across the organizations. That's super, super um, integral to my day to day. Uh, we have, um, and they allow you to do that. They want you to do that, right? So there's just, there's just all that, I'm trying, trying to think of the champions. So we have career champions for our emerging leaders, people that are, are that we see as potential future leaders in the company. They are on a, a growth path and they get fostered and championed. And it's pretty, it's pretty neat. So people probably should be taking notes on this right now, because here's the truth that I found. It's, it's one thing for, I'm a recruiter, right? So I talk to hiring managers a lot of the time about their culture and they'll tell me like someone who's involved in hiring, what their culture is like. And it's easy to be idealistic about your culture. It's easy to say the things that you know, the market wants to hear. And it's a lot harder to actually do those things. So for someone like you, and for example, when I talk to not the hiring manager, but let's just say a project manager on their team who I just speak to to network with, when I talk to them and hear about the company, it's a lot different than when I talk to the hiring manager and hear about the culture of the company, right? I want to know from the PM and the soups perspective in the, in the admin's perspective, how do they treat yeah. you? What does growth path look like? What does support look like? It's easy to say it and it's easy to write it on your website. Kind of come, going, going back to what I said, I heard a quote one time that said, a lot of times what companies will put on the front page of their website is actually the opposite of what you'll find in the actual culture, right? Like they'll say what's idealistic, but they won't say maybe some of the things that are drawbacks or things that you know are tough to deal with in the company. But more than that, something you nailed in what you were saying was to me, the identification of candidates who can have a growth path and being really clear and intentional about growth, showing people not only how you've been performing, analyzing how you've been performing, but what the growth path could look like. 
And I think that's just the ball is dropped so often. The, the main reasons we hear people leaving are, and I might miss one or two, but comp, I feel significantly undercompensated. I'm not working on the types of projects I want to work on, or I can't grow into new types of projects. I'm, I'm doing heavy civil. I'm interested in working on some healthcare, right? Like we hear these types of things all the time, but companies will just be limited in the types of projects, the size of the projects, the scope. And some people will feel bottlenecks. Some people will feel overworked. People are looking for different things at different companies, but it sounds to me like your team reverse engineered a lot of the reasons why people would leave and a lot of the issues people have with employ with employers. And you actually are intentionally building daily a company that focuses on how you best support your team, how you drive retention, how you drive growth, and really at the end of the day, fulfillment in someone's career. Yep. Just it's engagement, you know, really engaging in, in the people that mm. are surrounding you. That's awesome. So over your career, what would you say is the, what you're most proud of that you've worked on or an accomplishment? So when I had to reflect on that, I would say mentor, my mentor, the mentorship program that I'm able to run right now. Hmm. From the beginning of my career at Gilbane, I was pretty much on the West Coast from, you know, nine months in, right? And I saw we were 20 people out here. Now we're 150 to 200 across from Arizona all the way up to um, and over to Nevada in, in the California area. But we... It was like an island in a lot of ways from the mainland, from the main ship where Gilbane's out of Providence and most of the, the businesses and, and offices are on the East Coast. And so my big mission was to connect because I came from there, was to help connect the West to the East and the North and the South and all around. Hmm. And so when I had the opportunity to uh, propose that we do a mentorship program. Of course, I said, yes, I would, I will initiate it. I will be, I will lead this. I know what we need. And they supported me hundred percent and they, and it has been going strong for three years. And what it, what I'm proud about it is, is that it's cross pollinating. It's not putting um, a person in West with another person in West. It's putting a person in West with a person in Florida. It's putting a person in New England with or Massachusetts with someone in Texas. It's putting someone in Colorado with someone in Maryland. It, I am able, with this program, I'm able to connect with my, you know, it's basically uh, manifested what I've always wanted, um, that connection of connecting the, the East to the West and the North and the South. So mm. I'm super proud of this mentorship program. Um, it's within the finance and accounting organization, um, has support from Mary, uh, from Chris Budras, our newest CFO, our past CFO, um, John Ruggieri. Uh, it has from our from my boss, who's an operations controller, and John Yana, and everyone. You know, so it's just it's it's super solid now, and I'm really happy because every year we recycle, so we we create new partnerships and new pairings across the organization with, and we bring in all the new people and, you know, they get nominated into the program mm -hmm. and then we, we repair them with, with our leaders. Hmm. Super powerful. It's so from an organizational development perspective, what are some of the points you focus on when you're building out a mentorship program and what have been some of the, the effects you've seen after putting that into place? Great question. So what I've found is that we are able to see from a business perspective, we're able to meet the talent across the company and be able to collaborate at, in our peer groups mm 
about the right fit. Like we're able to basically fit the people that are in our organ. We're able to see and have the visibility of our organization and the talent in it mm -hmm. and be able to collaborate together more effectively and place like this person would actually be really good for that new need out in, you know, Wisconsin, or we have this, um, we have this, you know, we have this need down in Florida right away. And you know what I met, um, my mentee is really fit for this. Would that work for that business to be able to pull him out of that for a few months and help over here? So I think it's just opened up. Um, I don't know if this is answering exactly what you're asking, but honestly, that I think that's really instrumental in, in being able to run a business mm. that's so big and widespread um, because you don't have that visibility typically mm -hmm. to all the different talents and all the different unique divisions and business units across the company. It sounds to me, if I'm just going to reiterate, like, like cross-pollination, like you said, it's being able to, for example, if I think about it from a sales perspective, because recruitment is very similar to sales. If you want to become or, or have all of your team on the same page about how to be the best of the best, and, and then you have recordings of calls, for example, where, of course, you have permission to record the call and you record calls and, and you have your best salespeople at doing what they're specifically best at recording their call and then sharing that call with the rest of the team so they can hear, they can collaborate. Maybe someone's better at sales, but someone's better at customer service. Someone's better at outreach on the phone versus, you know, LinkedIn versus email. It's just, it's like a project manager. Maybe one project manager is really great at this and maybe one's really great at that. But if we marry them together, then they can show each other what they're great at and they can actually come out maybe like a, a 2.0 version of himself, if you will, with, with a whole new skill set. Is that yeah. that idea of cross-pollination? Is that sort of what you're getting at? Yeah, that's how, I mean, that's exactly it. And then just, there's so many different initiatives in the outside of mentorship program that I'm not intimately involved with, but I'm involved with it because it's part of the the finance and accounting organization, like accounting excellence and just building champions within the business to do just that. Um, marry marry the people that, together to make sure we're standardizing processes that we're implementing best practice, that we have our watch outs you know, on our radar um, it's, it's really, it's been really awesome. Hmm. Um, and it seems like this type of collaboration, I mean, in the construction industry, we don't see as much remote, although some companies for some types of positions are offering remote, but in my perspective and what I've seen from successful teams and what I've seen building our team, having the ability to cross pollinate with other people on the team, especially in a remote environment, also in an in-ops environment, sure. But I think it's especially important in an environment that's fully remote that you actually have, you know, cross pollination within the team. They get to learn what's working for other people, what workflows work for other people, what daily schedules and like how you go about your day works best for people. There's so many little things that seem little, but all add up to like 1% here, 1% there. And yeah. it makes so much sense with what you're saying about this collaboration is is there anything else aside from the actual collaboration like have you set up any intentional training modules or anything like you know just like very cut and dry training within the mentorship program so within the mentorship program what i've been able to do is really get intimate with the mentees mm. and develop and i've used i've worked with them to it what it's allowed is it's allowed the emerging leaders to kind of take ownership in some type of um some type of initiative itself. So I would have team building events um, and I would ask for a committee. And then the, this committee, so people would raise their hands to be able to come forward and, and allows them the opportunity to take on some leadership role and, and really practice with their peers and bring in. So last year, um, year two, we had 
three, um, three, three mentees that raised their hand and they put together the best team building event across all the mentees. They brought in a panel of five leaders. Um, they were all mentors in the program, five leaders. They had this cool, cause we're all remote. We had this really cool looking, you know, it was like a desk with them sitting at it across the thing. And, and there was in, interview questions and all of um, engagement. So it was engagement. So they brought, the mentees were able to ask the questions live and the mentors were answering it. And um, it was, a, that I feel is, is super important to allow young people the opportunity to have a taste of what it's like to organize something to to have a, that's a development that's huge i mean they're they're rising this is this is a the mentorship program or mentorship program isn't just to say have a mentor um a mentor just tell this mentee what they you know just what where they came from the mentees have to drive this program and that's kind of how i set this up too is that you're you know you're being peered with a mentor and that mentor will be engaged 100 percent. that's their commitment to this program but you're driving it you're you're bringing the agenda to the table every meeting you're setting your meetings you know this is this is a part of it so i think that that those opportunities to team build if i was to to really and then that gives them resources, internal resources, even more because they're meeting their peers. Two big takeaways from what you just said. Candidates at your company have the ability to actually explore and push the boundaries of what their career can look like, what their trajectory can look like, what their what their success looks like, because they can push how deep they dive into the mentorship program. They can leverage their mentors. They can leverage other people who they cross pollinate within the mentorship program to keep pushing to the next level. So your candidates are well taken care of. And on top of that, your team, actually this is a benefit of candidates and your team. Your team's probably seeing great retention as a result of this because you're actually having transparent conversations with the people about what they want, about what they're looking for. And you hear about this quiet quitting. There's all this talk all over the internet about it. And at the end of the day, if you're having really transparent conversations with your people, you're mentoring them, you're coaching them to get to the next level, you're doing your best to prepare the opportunity that they want next. Why would people leave? If they're supported, you treat them well. They're in a good culture. You know, you, they know you have their back. You know, like they, they know that you, they, you value them as a company. This process is allowing people to really take their career in their own hands and make people probably want to stay with you longer. Why would they, in my head, I'm thinking, why would they not want to if they really truly have the full support of their team for this? You're right. I mean, that that is, that has been huge. Um, we had one, even just, Personally, I've been impacted by one of my top talents um, wanting to explore something different and go go check out a different company. Mm. And I said, I said, I get it, JK. You know, his name's JK. I said, I get it. You know, you want to, you, you've only been with this company for a little bit. I said, go fly, but come back. I, I'm, I'm going to expect you back. Took six months. You know, it was New Year's Eve and I got the call. And I, and I was, it was the best New Year's Eve, <laughs> New Year's Eve gift that he was coming back. They we were looking for an opportunity to come back. And I said, and he had, uh, you know, came back with a huge perspective from that opportunity as well. So just having those honest conversations with him, because I couldn't give him at that moment what he wanted. And I said, go get it, you know. I believe that how people react in the most difficult situations of life shows a lot about their true colors and what their character looks like. 
and I was just so blown away by what you just said, because there's two types of people I believe in this business. There's the person who someone says, Hey, I'm going to a competitor. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I got to leave. Thank you for everything. They try and be professional. And then for the next two weeks during their resignation period, they get complete cold shoulder. They're pretty much, you know, get out of here. It's pretty much the mentality. Like we don't want you here anymore. If you don't want to be here, but you had abundance. You said, please, I want the best for you. I want you to know what's best for you. And I want you to do that for all the right reasons because you actually had the chance to explore it because you know what you have here once you already tried something else. It just, it actually reminds me of the first company I ever sold at. Whenever someone would quit or would leave for another company, you know, Renewal Anderson tried to poach one of the window reps, right? It's like everyone knew that CDW would say, hey, just, just to let you know, we really enjoy working with you. And when you, if you ever want to come back, you still have a spot on this team with CDW and, and we really appreciated the work you put in, right? Unless they were someone who was maybe on the way out anyways, and they really didn't want them back, like just performance wise or a culture yeah. wise. Yeah. Other than that, it, it really stood out to me as something that showed confidence about what they've built and what they have and how they actually care about their people and the, the, the long-term well-being of their people. So for me, I've seen both sides of the coin. We are headhunters, so we pull people out of jobs. It's sometimes what we do, and, and sometimes their employer isn't that happy. And we actually coach the candidate through the process, how to be professional, how to write a resignation letter, how to break ties with, with amicability and, and or amicably, whatever that word would be. But basically the gist of it is it's that really hit me right there. It, it takes a lot to to keep that professionalism and also know what's in the best interest. But let me ask you this. So you take them back once, they come back once. What do you do if they leave twice and they want to come back a third time? I mean, that's really, that's really a good question. I think that it just depends on the situation, but you know, we've had my old division controller who left the, he had prior to leaving the last time had left, come back, left, come back. And I said, so when are you going to come back again? I mean, it wasn't under me, you know, he was my, he was my boss, but Gilbane's really open to allowing that kind of, I guess, allowing that to happen. We've had people, re, you know, I don't, what do you call it? Um, it's the rebound effect, not rebound effect, but it's the um, boomerang. Hmm. It's the boomerang folks. But what I feel like if they leave, a, if honestly, if they leave the second time and you're not, and they didn't get what they needed they thought they were going to get when they came back, then I guess it's probably meant to be mm -hmm. honestly. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I mean, a big believer in everything happens for a reason and that's, you know, and you never know why until it hits you. <laughs> and then, um, and you learn from that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's the learning process. I just got the chills because I, I swear it happened. It happens so much in my life where I think to myself, whether not to get religious or anything, but whether it be God or whether it be the simulation or whatever God or what, whatever people think of like their theory about how the universe runs, there's a million theories about it. It's just so interesting to me how things seem to happen for a reason. I've noticed that in my life. I really, truly believe things do happen for a reason. And uh, it actually just gives me the chills because when I hear things like that, I think about a million things in my life where I think back and I'm like, how did that and that and that all happen simultaneously? And I had no idea it was going to happen. It, it's like when you have a conversation with someone and you know you're not going to get something from it, but you have a good conversation and you're, you, you build a positive relationship and you try and bring some value anyways. It's like that happens. And oftentimes in life, we're just like, oh, just had a conversation. You know, that was, that was good. Nice person. I hope all the best for them. And then they come back to you in two months and they're like, oh, hey, by the way, in my example, I had someone actually a candidate do this to me. He, he messaged me. He's like, hey, I'm looking to get into contact. Context super interesting to me. 
me. I'm currently a project engineer with a really reputable company, Top 100 ENR. I'm looking to make a move into contact, but I'm wondering if I stay in construction for a couple more years, move up into more like a project manager type of role and get a little more deep experience in the field, would that be more valuable to employers in the contact space or should I just go in and dive in? And I basically said, well, first of all, it will depend on what you want to get out of it, your long-term goals, like what and what you've done as well. I, I want to dive a little deeper into that. But in reality, it just depends on where you want to go and where you see your future being. It's There's no firm answer. And I try to just give them the most in-depth. I sent him a few, like three minutes worth of voice messages over LinkedIn. I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, hey, he reached out to me randomly. He heard a podcast. He asked for advice. I did my best to give the best I could. He reached back in a month. I expected nothing from it. And he's like, hey, by the way, there's a company on the East Coast that I know really well. They're looking to recruit a project manager. Would you be able to have a conversation with them? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And now we have someone who's starting this coming Monday for that company who we actually just placed with them. So it's just, yeah, a, awesome. you never know, right? It's, it opens up something. It always does. Yeah. Right. It just, you don't know when, but it will. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like the way of the world, whatever you want to think of it. I, I believe, I believe idealistically that if you do good things, that good things will return in some way, shape or form. So yeah. makes sense. So diving into like my nerdy recruitment brain a little bit over here, because I, this is what I do all day. If I'm looking to recruit a controller or one of my clients is looking to recruit a controller and they're looking for how to basically pick out the best candidates, what to really look for in the scope, what, what tips would you give about hiring a controller, vetting a controller, and, and also supporting a controller? So the way I look at it is, is paper is just paper, right? People can put whatever they want on their resume. So, but you have to look at the resumes to, to basically filter out who you want to bring in to interview. It's important to get them face to face. It's important to understand, you know, what, what drives that person? Um, because at the end of the day, it's construction and you're bringing in a finance and accounting type of person to help with that side of the world in your business. And you need to be, they need to be able to partner with pretty much every single discipline. So what I feel is important, and I even do this with the accounting team. If I'm interviewing, I like operations to do some interviewing of the same people because they're gonna be working with them at the end of the day, the project accountants are gonna work and support the teams. So they need to be able to have say and ownership in who we bring in and support this, support this business. Mm -hmm. So, don't go off of what the paper says, <laughs> always, um, obviously challenge it, um, challenge the, the candidate, ask them what they're really, what really drives them. What do they do on their free time? Are they development focused? You want someone who's development focused. You want someone who's self-effacing. You don't want an egotistical person. Challenge yourself. Don't just look for someone who you can kind of rub shoulders with, I mean, of course that's important. It's super important to be able to have that camaraderie. But I'm, I'm saying you don't wanna hire the same type of people over and over and over. So look, make sure that you're, you challenge yourself before you go into the meeting to really under, to kind of grasp the questions that you're gonna be able to get out of this person and really what the need is for the business mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. Like what is the focus of this individual and how, what are those questions that you need to ask um, specifically to those to get, but really understand their character. I think that's really number one when I really boil it down. 
mm -hmm. um, and, and get to know them mm -hmm. and have them have a multiple people have multiple pe perspectives on that person. Mm -hmm. So let's just say, hypothetically, your CFO or your controller is planning on leaving that, you know, they're planning on leaving, maybe they're going to retire in five years or three to five years. I have a mm -hmm. client actually right now who I'm working on a controller search in the Bay Area in this exact situation. Okay. My question for you is, what is your school of thought on, would you rather bring someone in? Let's just say your team has a proven process. It's not like you're looking to build out a new department. You already have things underway and in place. Are you of the school of thought that say you have a three to five year runway that you should bring someone in who is maybe a senior financial person in a company, but maybe not a controller yet, or maybe they're not, they're not on the CFO controller level on that. They're not, they're not there, but you know that based on the growth track they've shown and based on some of their relevant experience that they have what it takes to maybe progress into that. And they have some solid tangible experience that would be relevant. And they would be able to be mentored into the position over a three to five year period with the company's systems and processes to make sure that things run smoothly. Hopefully they can bring some value to maybe improve things. But at the end of the day, for example, my client's telling me, I don't want to recruit someone who's a seasoned CFO because I don't want them to come in here and try and change our processes from A to Z. A lot of times we think that might be what happens and we're actually really happy with how things are going. So we want someone who's going to be mentored into the role. But I'm curious what your school of thought on those on mentoring someone into the role versus doing a direct headhunt if you have the option. Now, if someone quits on the spot, you kind of sometimes don't have the option. Maybe you promote someone yeah. within or maybe you headhunt. But if you do have the option, what's your school of thought on that? So honestly, I really do believe in um, building, bringing them on and building them into that role uh, just to make sure because you don't know ultimately if they're really going to be the right fit for that, but you're able to bring them in early and, and train them in the way that you want and develop the succession plan. It, it's just, it's all about your succession. The one thing that I, I do worry about um, is that you've also vetted within the company structure, you vetted your, your current pool, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you, you don't want to bring, because that could disturb the cart, <laughs> the apple cart. Um, if you, if you haven't really vetted the opportunities within your current team, right. Or current organization. Yeah. And so really just vet that first. Um, and then if that's really the case, you, I, I am a big proponent of bringing them in and seasoning them and, and, and building them up into the company and integrating them a, along the way mm -hmm. to get to that point. It makes a lot of sense. And something you actually just said there, I would love to just kind of make a point about because it's so huge for me. There's a big difference, I believe, in life of people who want to achieve greatness or in people who think they deserve greatness just because they woke up and they showed up to work. That, that's something that I believe is some. I believe in putting in the work personally. And I think to become the best of the best, you have to put in the work if you really do want to be elite. So something I've found is people in this, maybe in this industry, yes, in this industry, sometimes they want something for nothing. They're like, hey, I'm fresh out of college, but I want to be a senior PM. It's like, well, I understand and respect your position. But with that said, it's like, that's a very tough ask. And it could put companies in liability and risk. You could be putting yourself at risk of reputation, of causing damage to a company. So it's very easy to try and get ahead of yourself and maybe try and achieve as much as you can as fast as you can. But 
what I believe strong leaders like you do is like you said, they set a plan and the plan is not only backed by milestones of how you can get there, but what it will take to get there of knowing you will have to develop these skills in this type of time frame if you want to get here in this timeline. So if you can get granular and you can help people see not only how you can get there, what the path looks like, but give them the materials or at least some guidance toward the materials so they can go self-educate themselves and improve themselves and go to the mentorship program in your company and intentionally ask questions to grow. That's really what will help these people advance. And it sounds to me like your mentality around mentorship, it seems to be like a, a universal theme in the way that you lead. It's like you want to bring people up. Even the way you just answered that question, you, you are err on the side of building people up versus doing a direct headhunt for like a, a lateral move. So powerful stuff. It's There's a lot of perspectives from leaders out there, but I found the most people-focused leaders and uh, development-focused leaders who are in tune with what their team wants are able to produce the happiest and highest producing teams. So super powerful. I, like I said earlier, if you're listening to this, please take notes. You, you need to hear this stuff out, especially small to medium builders who haven't really nailed their culture yet. You know, like they're coming up they're It's tough. And it's, it's tough to, to compete with the big dogs. If you don't have the value prop, that the big dogs have, if you're not paying them like they do, if you're not treating them like they do, if you're not progressing them like they do, sorry, there's not much of an argument from, from the candidate's perspective of why they'd move. So that's awesome. Real quick question in terms of if, you, if I'm a young financial professional and I want to aspire, or I, I want to be where you are someday, what tips would you give me just generally speaking? So the tips that I, I give the young financial people that are coming into the organization that I get to influence and help guide is don't just take what my word for it. Go meet with the operations manager, request a, a career conversation, have a different perspective, gain perspective, go to this project sites, just sit there in the background and listen to what they have to do so that you can understand that financials and accounting is just a piece of that piece of the pie here. <laughs> just a piece of the pie. I mean, yes, it's a, it's a big piece of the pie, but we are operating, we're building for owners, we're managing architects, we're managing designers, engineers, trades. We're trying to maintain safe sites. And from a financial perspective, we're just dealing, you know, a lot of times we're just doing numbers. We're just managing numbers. We're, we're spitting out reports here and there for our teams so that they can manage their trades. They can manage their project or profitability. They can manage their schedule, whatever it is. We're data, you know, data entry, data producing, data reporting. And if from a financial perspective, you need to understand the whole operation. Mm -hmm. And so getting career conversations lined up. And I do that for myself, too. We just got a new regional president. I said, you know, I really would love to meet with you, your perspective. He's on the East Coast. Uh, he's a family member. You know, he's been in the business so long for a very high producing division. I said, I need your perspective so I can grow from that. I am looking to be, you know, a division controller someday. I want my team to push me out of my seat. I'm looking for some other, you know, ideas. How do I do that? Um, what is the best for, for, for me and my team? So, and the other thing is that get involved where you can initiatives, anything that you can put your, you know, get your hands on. Um, we have uh, employee resource groups with Gil within Gilbane. 
you know, we have a pride group, we have an Ola group, we have a Ujima group, we have military advantage group, we have, um, we have a lot, we have APIC, we have the young professionals, the Asian Pacific, you know, different, um, different types of employee resource groups, get involved with those, get out, meet your peers, meet your operations peers that way, and also try to get on the committee, learn, learn how to lead that way. Uh, so that's what I offer them. And then from a, from a business, from our business department, I say, come to our meetings, you're included, you know, you're invited, pay attention because it's not just learning your job A to Z. It's learning it from Z to A and finding out where on that scale and trying to pull them really to the maximum. Um, so really introducing the whys and all of that. So mm-hmm. that's important Makes for sense. young financial professionals. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And for me, if I'm a candidate, what I take away from this is the humility that you had to approach your regional VP and actually ask for the mentorship. It can actually, some people could think of it as a strike to the ego to ask for help. Some people are afraid to ask for help, but at the end of the day, we don't know what we don't know. We're human. We were born with pretty much baseline zero knowledge and we have to learn from there. So it's like, we realize we have to learn these things to improve. It's not like we're expected to know them, but by having the humility to ask the question, it's, it sounds like it's something that's helped propel you to where you are. You know, asking, how can you help me here? How can I level up here? How can I be better here? And again, I personally think that comes from your sports background, or at least it may (laughs) influence what you're doing, because I think about the same thing, constant and never ending improvement. How can I get better while staying consistent, not switching up the whole plan every day, but how can I continue to get better at my craft? Um, It's been such a huge takeaway from, from athletics for me. So makes a lot of sense. Now, you talked earlier about this is not just paper, right? Like this is the construction industry. There's a lot going on here. There's, you know, you have tons of divisions within your company if someone wants to branch out as well, like you talked about. So what would you say is if someone wants to ask you, what do you think? Is there an untapped opportunity in construction? Do you think people overlook construction? Because I'm super passionate. I think that the industry is overlooked. I think it has a stigma. I think, for example, you, you're a woman, a strong leader who's a woman in construction. And I think clearly women are underrepresented. So basically at the end of the day, what is your thought for people who haven't thought about construction? Is it an untapped opportunity? I agree with you. It is. It's untapped. Uh, There's so much uh, the idea, right? The idea of construction. I can't go out in the field (laughs) and and use a hammer or whatever they think, you know, whatever they think of construction, um, the blue collar work, the tradesmen out there. It's, it's that. It's all of that because without them, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't be able to build what we built. Um, but there's the whole operation behind it. And so we need human resources. We need business development, salespeople. We need marketing people. We need, uh, accounting, financial controls. Um, it's, it's the whole bag people. And <laughs> it's just, it's, that's what, uh, that's what construction that's the only way we can do it. And, you know, and if you read a lot of books and, and just how project management is done, I mean, it's all based on how construction um, manages. So um, that's business. Makes, Definitely makes, makes sense to me. So I guess just to kind of cap things off, do you have any future plans you'd like to highlight? Company have any plans, any, any initiatives you want to touch on? Oh, what I'm super excited about. Oh, thank you for asking. So we finally have this core group um, in the Western division that we're able to 
pretty much manage all of our backlog. We're still looking for people, mm-hmm. um, but we're able to tap into the pipeline and start building up our internship program. Mm-hmm. First time ever on the accounting side, not operations. Operations has been doing this forever, but where we finally partnered with about three or four um, local community colleges and universities here in the San Jose area, Silicon Valley. And we are now interviewing for interns to bring them into our San Jose office and then uh, and then expand from there. So we have offices in Sacramento in uh, Phoenix and in Los Angeles. And so we're trying we're trying right now to build up that that presence here. And what that does, honestly, it's not only building the pipeline for the future, um, but it's also um, providing our younger accountants here an opportunity to, to mentor and coach and, mm-hmm. and have that leadership opportunity um, right here um, in the office. So super, super pumped about that. I would be yeah. pumped if I was you. I bet it's saving you a couple dollars on recruitment fees as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it will, right? That's the idea. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Sorry. No, no, it's all good. It's, it's a business. Sorry, Actually, not sorry. Here's the truth. If I recruit someone to your team who's a project manager, super seasoned, and they have people who come with referrals, if they can bring your team referrals, I'm happy about that. I don't need to make every placement in your company. A lot of people I work with have internal talent teams. I, I want to do a good job with the placements I make. I don't need to make every one. But by that, I mean, like, let's just say you have 20 roles open. I don't need to place 20. But hypothetically, if I could bring you one or two or three who knew one or two or three other people, I've actually encouraged my clients to implement an employee referral program. It's something that they should have in their company as long as their employees believe in their company, right? If they don't believe in the mission, they're not going to send referrals or they'll send referrals who are not very good, right? But that's super powerful. And actually, I forgot to say this earlier, but one other takeaway I think is super important to know about the construction industry is the type of business it is. It's like... At the end of the day, just typically, it's not this buttoned up, like super, you know, nose in the air industry where people act like they're bigger than you or, you know, things like that. It's a very raw, real industry. People keep it real in construction. They say what's on their mind. They don't, they don't, uh, you know, filter themselves oftentimes. And it's something where if you appreciate that, you appreciate the transparency and the authenticity and people who are being themselves and, you know, just an environment where people, have some, uh, some looseness about them. It's kind of like a, a sports environment where a team can get along with each other and they don't feel like they need to say the perfect thing at the perfect time all the time, right? It's something that I think is another reason people should consider construction if that's an environment that they like. If it's not and you'd rather be on the other side, cheers. But I think some people haven't considered that. They hear like the rough around the edges, oh, construction, it is what it is. But they don't know the good side or, or they haven't looked at what that means. They haven't like looked deeper into like what the construction industry really means. Again, because of the stigma, but... I don't know. I, I just think that's something people should know. I, we haven't talked about it, Mike. Right. I haven't talked about it a lot, but I think it's important. I mean, you're building a team. It's just like athletics. You're building a team of people that are building a building or or putting together this master program or uh, whatever it is for clients. We, we get to touch the community. We get to touch these owners. We get to touch so many different people along the path of building. So it's a pretty exciting industry. It sure is. And actually, I really do nerd out when I go into San Francisco and I look at the Salesforce Tower. I'm like, are you kidding me? That thing cost over a billion dollars to build. Just the architecture is, is mind-blowing for me. Just the way people put this together, the way it looks, what it supports in the community. Like, And I'm just talking about one tower. I look at every damn building on that the, the whole area, and I'm like, I'm blown away. I was actually in the Bay uh this Sunday, I was watching the Blue Angels, and I just looked oh, wow. at all the, the the side of San Francisco, and I'm like, 
this is unbelievable. And in my head, I actually do think about these things. I'm not even just saying it so people think I like construction. I'm like, damn, who built this? Like, what did it take to build this? How did they curve the glass like that so it's curved at the top? I like think about it, it just blows my mind. And on top of that, I'm mind blown that all the buildings in San Francisco have not seen more wear from the salt air. It, I'm just like blown away by what people can do. And this is obviously beyond my scope. If someone's hearing this and they're like, oh, obviously I just use this material and that material. But for no, me, it's I'm, not obvious. I'm blown away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think I mentioned that I built, we just built our own home as owner builders. Wow. And so my husband's a um, senior project manager for Vance Brown, mm. shout out. Um, and they're builders here. They do a lot of development work and stuff around the Bay Area, 50 year company. 50-year company or no 90-year company sorry um and we so building our own home it's just i was so amazed by the details within the details of the details i mean to thankfully my husband was the pm uh, and and i was his little laborer painter you know um financial cash flow manager payment person um but there the process is amazing. So that's why encouraging young folks that are, or anyone that just to really explore construction because, and then really to understand it. Like if you're in, if you do get hired for the office, get out in the field, go see what your people are doing. Really have the superintendent walk you around. They're excited to show you what they're building. I mean, these people, my husband, I mean, he dives into the plans and you know, they can just see it in 3d. And just to, just to see what, what we were able to transform on our little little piece of property was amazing. And then you talk about San Francisco and never ma- never mind just the, the architecture and, and the infrastructure that's needed to support a city in a seismic zone, a, a crazy seismic zone, you know, with these tall buildings and, and all, all of it. to go like small. this. Yeah. And, and even just the construction industry, you don't have to work for a general contractor. You could work, you could have a passion for, I don't know, anything like any type of material. And it's going to be something that, that you could actually lead that company as their, as their financial officer of a subcontractor or a vendor or whatever, you know, you get involved in some capacity. Mm. Um, it's everywhere. And on top of that, you get to see what you built. Like in this industry, a lot of times you actually tangibly, physically see what you built, how it's impacted the community. You build a bridge, you see people driving over the bridge. You you repair it even, you see people driving over it. Like you're having a physical, tangible impact on society. And it's, it's like you said, it's not for everyone at the end of the day. Not everyone wants to get into construction, but I just think it's so overlooked and it's, it's so interesting beyond what people know about it. So right. super encourage people to, to take a further look into construction. If you're not already in the industry, if you haven't considered it, I've had absolute blast having you on the show today, Suzanne. So thanks so much. Thank for you, Matt. On. Uh, is there anything you want to leave us with any, any final notes? I, you know, just, you know, lead with your champion spirit. Um, that's a, a big, a big thing, you know, find your champion spirit, whether it be whatever you want to define it as. Um, it's all about mental mind over matter, right? Um, as we know, in athletics, it, it is mind over matter, because at the end of the day, you're not able to, if, if your physical ability isn't, isn't there, you, you're going to have to pull in your mind to get through it. So um, that is, it's, it's, it's a lesson in life. I think it all comes back to the mind, honestly, like a lot, like 99%. Like, yes, of course, there's the physical aspect of life. But 
uh, my last college I was at, sorry, we were going to end the show, but quick tangent. So the last school, yeah, I, this last school I played baseball at, it was like, for me, it was very similar to like what I would imagine like a, a drill sergeant type of school would be like. It was super regimented up at 5 a.m. a lot of the days, like, you know, basically we were on call for our team. So we needed to be by our phone, ready to respond to our coach, ready to make things happen for our team. It was a very tight knit team. And I'd never been a part of someone who pushed me so hard. And I, we had to do this thing called the hill. The hill was this seven and a half or whatever mile hill that was like literally like this. And it was known as this super scary challenge that our team at this school, Lewis Clark State would have to do every year. And so we actually didn't know if we were gonna have to do it. We got like just up to right before the season. We were thinking if the season starts, we're not gonna have to do it. So we're thinking to ourselves, are we gonna miss the hill or are we not gonna have to do it? And keep in mind, they've been pushing us all year. This is the hardest by probably like five times that I've ever been physically pushed in my career. But it ended up being to where we ended up running the hill. I actually, I'm, I'm terrible at running, honestly. I'm slow. I don't have great stamina. And so when I start running, it's like, I don't love it. It's like a mile in. I'm kind of like huffing and puffing, just like, oh, when is this going to be done? I realized seven and a half miles later that it's just all about like putting your mind to what you need to do and just being able to push through the pain and through the adversity and just to get to the end and just put one foot in front of the other as you continue to, to proceed. And it was just such a big takeaway for me. And it, what your story you just told just struck a chord in me to, to, to say that. But um, yeah, that's so funny. Did I just mention something? Cause oh. that totally, it's a to totally segues on that. So I, so I hated running. Like I was super fast at running up and down the court, but I just didn't like long distance running. So marathon, marathon was my opportunity. I signed up for a marathon when I was in my late twenties, I believe. Uh, and, uh, I pushed through it and I said, I'm going to do this and I trained for it and I did it. And at the end they said, would you do this again? I said, no, but I did it, <laughs> you know, but it was, it was, it was all my mind, you know, for 16 miles. So it's a, you know, what, what is it? 26 and I forget. 26 miles is a marathon, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I made it to 10 mile, you know, feeling elated, but then I was just like 16 miles that mind had to come into, came into play. So. It reminds yeah. me of, have you ever heard of David Goggins? No, I don't know. He's a no. trip. Anyways, he, he's on YouTube. He's basically like a motivational coach. He's on YouTube, but he comes from like the Marines, I believe is his background. He was like super high okay. in, in the Marines. And basically he talked about how he was running, like it's called an Ironman, I think, where he has to run like a hundred miles or something. What I believe to me in my eyes is like a ridiculous amount of running. And he, I believe, broke his feet, literally broke his feet, stress fractures running halfway or something through the race he taped his feet to finish the race and he actually finished the race. He was, I won't even go into details, pretty vivid details of how brutal the physical pain was, but he just put his mind to it. And all he ever talks about is harden your mind. You got to harden your mind. You got to push through. And it just makes so much sense. And what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Suzanne, thank people you. are in for an absolute treasure or for a treat with this show. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Really Thank you for calling. <laughs> really appreciate it, Matt. You take care. Awesome.